Well, good morning. It's good to see you guys. If you're new, my name is Tim. I'm the pastor here, uh, and we're glad that you've joined us. If you are new, we're glad you found us. Uh, we are only four weeks into this new location, so for some of you, it feels like uh, we've been here for a long time because we cleaned up and we moved and we've resituated, and even this morning did some of that. Uh, but for some of you, uh, this feels brand new, and it, and it really is. Four weeks into this place, we're glad you are with us. If you are new, uh, we'd love to invite you to Starting Point right after church today. Uh, Guy mentioned that. We actually are calling an audible and switching the location of that from the fellowship hall uh, because right now the fellowship hall is more like the storage hall as we're getting acclimated to the space. Uh, so what we're going to do is set up round tables right in the front here so it'll be really easy and visible after we conclude the service and kind of wrap things up, 11.45 a.m.-ish. Uh, we're going to put a couple round tables down here and have starting point down here. Here's who's starting point is for. If you are brand new today, we'd love for you to join us. If you have been coming for a couple months, but you don't feel connected, you're not sure what your next steps are with Phoenix Bible Church, we'd love for you to join us. If you'd registered for this, you're welcome to join us. Obviously, you're registered. Uh, if you didn't register for this, you can join us. We'll have lunch provided for you. We'll have child care upstairs and PBC Kids. And so really, we just want to uh, take this time, a little less than an hour, to talk about who we are as a church, uh, who you are, connect with some other people, ask any questions that you may have. So we encourage you to join us right after the service for Starting Point down front right here. So we'll, we'll hang out down front here. And uh, before we get into the sermon, I want to uh, just address something briefly, something that's significant in our culture right now, something that's really significant in our backyard as Arizonians, and that's the, uh, the recent immigration stuff, but more so the, the kids and the families at our border. Uh, and, and I want to address that, and I want to just off the top just tell you, we will never be political here, uh, but we'll always be biblical and so here's what that means, is when things happen in our culture, when we experience things, when we read things, when we see things that could be controversial, that could be significant to us personally or to our world, we always want to, as followers of Jesus, if you consider yourself one, we want to root our perspective and our practice before a political party, before even a nationality, in Christianity, and so what that looks like practically is when things happen like last week, if you've read the news, if you've been alive, right, you've, you've heard all these things and there's all these things going on at the border, uh, when things like that happen, what we do is we root our perspective and our practice in Scripture. So truths like the image of God, right, that we believe everyone is created in the image of God, their image Bearers, and so, therefore, they have dignity. So that's why we uh, disagree with abortion. That's why we don't like uh, things like that, because we believe racism and all those types of things, that everyone has dignity. If they've been created by God, they're created in his image, and they have a soul. And so they uh, need to be respected and treated with kindness accordingly. And so we, we believe that as Christians, right? Uh, another thing, like loving our neighbor, Luke 10 uh, just in case we get confused, Luke 10, Jesus makes it clear. The right question to ask is not, who is my neighbor? The right question to always ask is, how do we love our neighbor well, right? And, and listen, in Arizona, we are uniquely positioned where literally we have around 2,000 neighbors, kids, who are in our backyard at our border, who are hurting, who are in a tough spot. 
Listen, whatever you think about the policy, I, I don't want to get into that. I don't have any interest in talking about your political party. But what I do have interest in is talking about the person of Jesus Christ and how he has loved us and how we are called to love our neighbors. So we're uniquely positioned in Arizona to do that. We're also uniquely positioned as the church, more importantly, of Jesus Christ to do that. And so here's what I'm inviting you to do. Here's why we're talking about this right now is uh, two things primarily. I want you to take with me, with our church, an actionable step. Beginning this week, uh, we're going to partner with an organization who's taking toys and supplies down to those 2,000 or so kids uh, who are hurting and just to comfort them in a small way, just to love them in a small, tangible way. Okay? Uh, this is all really fresh. Uh, so we don't have a lot of details right now, uh, but we will give those, provide those to you this week and let you know how you can participate in actively loving your neighbors. We say as a church, if you're new, our tagline is love moves, right? So we don't just talk about love. We don't just think about love. We step out and love people, and we have an opportunity to do just that. The second thing uh, I would ask you to do is pray. To pray for these kids, to pray for the families, uh, to pray for the leaders of our country. We are called to do that in Scripture. Now, I know many of us, even in this room, we've talked a lot about the leaders of our country this week. Maybe positively, maybe negatively, but I would ask you, how many of you have prayed for the leaders of our country this week? And so we need to do that. We're going to take a moment to do that now. I'd ask that you continue to pray for wisdom, to pray honestly that our leaders would get uh, wisdom, but they would get God, more importantly, that they would follow God, that they would also be rooted in their perspective and practice in the will of God. We would pray for that. And so I would ask you to, to practice the love of God and to pray for these people. So we're going to do that now, and then we're going to get into the sermon. Let's do that together. Father in heaven, um, I want to thank you that this morning that we, um, that we are a people gathered uh, not because of a political party, not because of a nationality, but because of Christianity. We are a people gathered around the name and fame, the person, the work, the character, the nature of Jesus Christ. And so God, I know this, in this room there's different thoughts and different opinions and different perspectives but God, I pray in this moment that we wouldn't leave here thinking about those things and wondering uh, where everybody stands, but we would unite over you, over Jesus, over the way you have loved us, that we would, as a result, love would move us out to extend love to others, that the church of Jesus Christ would rise up to do that that we would do that as Phoenix Bible Church, that other churches would do that. And uh, God, I do pray uh, for the kids and families affected by what's been going on. I pray for the kids, specifically the vulnerable, the weak, who are in rooms uh, by themselves, uh, some of them, and scared and not sure what's going on. I pray that you would give them your comfort, 2 Corinthians 1-3, your supernatural comfort that comforts them in their affliction. God, I pray that um, you would be with our leaders, that you would give them wisdom. You would give them comfort. You would give them insight on steps to take and policies to create. But, God, uh, we would uh, continue to pray for them and, and not just talk about them as believers in you. 
And so, God, I pray uh, for all of this uh, by your spirit in your name. And everybody said, amen. All right. Well, as we get into the sermon, uh, we are in the final part of a series called Still Living. We've been looking at this psalm, Psalm 46. The first week, we looked at the beginning of that psalm and saw the protection of God that helps us not give way to fear. The second week, we talked about the provision of God that helps us be at peace. Last week, Pastor Matt, we had a guest speaker, he did a great job of talking about how we can find rest and trust in God's justice. And today, we're looking at the final part of this psalm, verses 10 and 11, about what it looks like practically to actually be still. So as we close this out, we don't, we don't want to leave here still surrounded by our stress, our busyness, our distraction. We want to talk about and center on what it looks like to be still. So Psalm 46, 10 through 11, if you don't have a Bible, uh, right at the back, there are plenty of Bibles. You can take one. Uh, if you don't own a Bible, take that one with you home. Uh, we'd love for you to have God's Word in front of you. Uh, if you can also pull it up on your phone, BibleGateway.com is a great resource. But Psalm 46, 10 through 11, get God's Word in front of you. We live in a world, uh, really a, a new world, um, where busyness and distraction are the norm. Have you noticed this? I noticed that the other day in an extreme way when I'm walking downtown by our downtown church office and I'm walking along and I see a kid, probably 16, 17 years old, and he's just skateboarding down the sidewalk, but he's doing something else. He's texting while he skateboards. And if you don't think that's daring enough for you, right, he's doing all of that between columns and next to the light rail downtown, right? And I think that's become the norm. Now, maybe that's not the exact norm for you. You're not that daring. But for a lot of us, the norm is multitasking, busyness, distraction, and we're consumed with that, and we're used to that in our culture, so much so that I wasn't shocked to see that kid skateboarding while texting next to the light rail. Didn't shock me. Right? I see those kinds of things. We see those kinds of things in our own lives where we live in a culture that never stops. Never stops. And I don't mean never stops like physically stops. Like we know how to sit down. You're sitting down right now. But many of us don't know how to still and quiet our souls. We know how to leisure and take vacations, but many of us don't know how to truly rest. Listen, the reason we did this series, the reason we're talking about this today, the reason we're giving you this charge to be still in your lives, to not leave here the same, but to decide to build stillness in your lives, the reason we're doing that, because my fear is, is not that you will be disconnected from God and others, not that our culture will be disconnected from God and others because of some grievous sin. That, that may happen, that does happen, but, but my fear right now in our day is not that you would be disconnected from God and one another because of some grievous sin. My fear is that we would be disconnected from God and others because of the slow bleed of distraction. Just the daily grind of multitasking and responding to the tyranny of the urgent always, of never sitting alone with your thoughts, with you and God, of every stoplight, every stop at the bathroom, that you're always busy yourself. And you think, man, I need to deal with some of the stuff in my soul. I'll do that later. That's too painful. 
I don't want to think about that. If I get alone and be still, I'm going to have to deal with some things in my past, some things in my present. I don't want to do that. And, and we're disconnected from God and one another because of that. And so this morning, we're going to lean into what does it mean to be still? What does it mean practically? We're going to get really practical to help us be still. And so look at the text with me. Verse 10, we get this imperative, be still. It's the most well-known verse in this psalm. It's probably one of the most well-known in all of the Bible. Even if you're here and you'd say, Tim, I'm not a Christian, you, you would say, I've seen that verse. I've heard, be still, and know that I'm God. I've seen it on a coffee mug, right? You're probably familiar with this verse, but you need to know there's some context that magnifies this content. And the context, Pastor Matt alluded to it last week, is from 2 Kings 18 and 19. We're not going to read it right now, but you can go look at it on your own. 2 Kings 18 and 19, where King Hezekiah and the people of Judah are surrounded by an Assyrian army about 185,000 soldiers. And, and these people of Judah with King Hezekiah, they're surrounded in a city by walls, but, but the Assyrians have come upon them. 185,000 soldiers have come upon the nation of Judah. And, and if you don't know anything about the Assyrians, you never read, really read the Old Testament, uh, they're people you don't want to mess with, right? Uh, they had a reputation for skinning people alive. They had a reputation and a reality of going from nation to nation, city to city, and destroying them, right? And so what you have in 2 Kings 18 through 19 is you have this exchange, right? The, the Assyrian soldiers, they're not just surrounding King Hezekiah, the people of Judah. They're not just surrounding, they're taunting. And you can go back and read it over and over. The leader of the Assyrian army sends back messages and says, do you, do you, you don't really think that your God is going to protect you, do you? I mean, you don't really think your God is going to deliver you, do you? I mean, just look at our track record. Look at all the nations and all the cities we have destroyed. The Assyrians said, what we want, we take. What we attack, we destroy. You don't think it's going to be different with your God. So they're surrounding and they're taunting, and King Hezekiah Praise for deliverance. Not just to any God, but to God Almighty. He prays for refuge, and God, through an angel of the Lord, he literally breaks the bow. He shatters the spear. He destroys 185,000 Assyrian soldiers through an angel of the Lord. Breaks the bow, shatters the spear. That should sound familiar to you because that's in Psalm 46. We read it last week, right? And if this is the backdrop. This is the context for this content. For this coffee cup verse. For this verse that's on prayer quilts. Right? For this verse that we love to sing about. Here's the context for this content. Be still and know that I'm God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. You see verses 8 and 9, they pave the way for verses 10 and 11. God's power is what provides peace. It puts a new spin on that familiar verse, doesn't it? 
And you need to know this is important, and I tell you all this because if we're not careful, we can read a verse like this this morning, and we can just think, man, that's be still and know that I'm God. Like, I'm put that up on my wall. What a, what a cute, trite, cozy verse. Just wrap me up in a blanket, be still, and know. If we're not careful, we can see this verse that way. Here's the problem with that, is we need more than that. Amen? Our world needs more than that. Amen? We need a peace that's derived from power. We need a peace that's rooted in the prince of peace. We need a peace that can actually change our lives and our context and our world. Right? And so the only way we can be still, verse 10, is when we behold the works of the Lord, verse 8. So if you missed last week, go back and listen to that. But that's the context for this content. Right? As we behold the works of the Lord, then we can be still. Right? So what does it mean to be still? One translation says it this way. It means to cease striving, to, to come to a, a full stop. Now, uh, all of us this morning, no matter where you drove from, unless you walked here, uh, and even if you walked, you passed by one of these, a stop sign. All of us drove up to these. Now, I have to confess to you because this is church, I don't always come to a full stop. Now, I know you're more spiritual than I am and you do, but we'll talk about that later. Um, I don't always come to a full stop. Maybe you do. Uh, but what I typically do is I kind of coast. I'll look around, make sure it's safe, right? But, but I kind of coast through. Sometimes I'll, I'll tap my brake a little bit. I'll come to kind of a stop and then I'll, and then I'll keep going forward. And I won't come to a full stop. What, what the psalmist is talking about this morning is a full stop, a cease striving. Be still, cease. You see, here's the question we often ask when we think about being still and things like this. We often ask questions like, how can I relax? How can I get away for a bit? You asked that question recently? All right, we're in the summer. Uh, we're talking about vacations. We're, we're thinking about what it means to be uh, relaxing and be still and get away for a little bit. Maybe you've asked some of those questions. But when we ask, how can I just relax for a little bit? How can I just escape for a little bit? We're really just, just tapping the brake. We're really just kind of coasting through. And you, you know this because when you just get away for a little bit, does it change anything? When you just relax a little bit, watch a show, get some chips and salsa, maybe that's just me. When you just do that, does it, does it bring stillness to your soul? You see, there's better questions for us to ask than how can we relax. All right, some better questions are how can I renew my mind? How can I refresh my soul in worship? How can I rest my body? How can I revitalize my relationships? If you're taking notes, you should write those down. Those are better questions, better rhythms of questions to ask, to be still. And you may say, well, Tim, I can write those down, but, but I don't know the answers to those questions. Like, I don't know what renews my mind, refreshes my soul, rests my body, revitalizes my relationships. Well, let me cross some things off your list that, that we can just cancel out right away, okay? Everybody clear on that? Here's some things that we can just cross off the list. I don't even know you. I don't know your situation. Here's what's not going to renew your mind, refresh your soul, rest your body. Here we go. Just three things. There's more. Here's three. The first thing, 
sitting on the couch, scrolling through Facebook, comparing your behind the scenes to everybody else's highlights. And that's not going to renew your mind, relax your body, refresh your soul, right? So you can just cross that one off the list. If that's one of the things you do to relax, that may be fine for leisure, but it's not going to help you rest. You tracking with me? Another thing, this is not going to renew your mind, refresh your soul. Sitting shoulder to shoulder only and never face to face with your spouse, with your roommate, with your friend. Only sitting shoulder to shoulder, typically on a computer, and having a conversation that looks like this. Some of you will, will know this very well. Having a conversation that looks like this. Yeah. Hey, how was your day? Uh-huh. Yeah. No, oh, that's crazy. I can't believe you did that. Uh-huh. Right? Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. That's, that's, anybody feel that? Okay. That's not going to refresh your soul, renew your mind. Binging Netflix. Ah. Oh, Tim, come on now. I mean, this hits home for me, right? I mean, my wife and I, we will say literally, I just need to watch a little show. I just need to watch a little show, relax from the day. And, and what happens? You know this. What happens? That fifth episode of The Office, we still watch The Office. It's a good show. After that fifth episode of The Office, what has changed with my heart? What has changed with my mind? What has changed with my soul? I, nothing except for I'm a little sadder because the office isn't on TV anymore. Right? Listen, I'm not telling you to cut your cable. I'm not here to, to guilt trip you into getting rid of your phone and all technology is bad and go be a monk and live in a cave. I'm not saying that. I'm saying some of these things, they may be fine for relaxation, but they're not good for restoration. And for many of us, we don't know how to navigate the busyness and chaos without these things that are really escape, that we run away from our problems instead of getting rest, stillness in our soul. And so this morning, this is the last part of this series. If you haven't thought about it already, if you haven't been paying attention, you need to think about not just what relaxes you, but what renews you, what refreshes your soul. Like, like a couple things. Uh, what after you're done, do you feel like your heart and your mind is renewed? What after you're done, do you say, I have a new perspective, a new outlook on life, like a godly oriented, a godly lens that I flipped on, and I see my relationships, I see my schedule differently. What does that for you? Right? Uh, things like prayer. Things like serving others, things like edifying discussion, things like hiking, going for a walk, a ride, recreation. Remember, your body can be moving, but you're still, your soul can be still. Right? So maybe you're thinking, Tim, I'm type A, I'm not a journaler, like I can't just sit in quiet. Hey, your body can be moving while your soul is still. Find what works for you. For me, I've shared this before, I love water, which is tough because we live in the desert. Right? But I, I get creative and I find ways. Sometimes I go to the beach. Sometimes I go to a lake. Right? We have those in Arizona too. But sometimes I get creative and I put on Pandora running water. And I listen to running water. Right? Find ways, even if your body is moving, to still and quiet your soul. Another key piece of this verse, be still, is it's an emphatic imperative. That's some grammar for you. It's an emphatic imperative. 
uh, what that means is you're engaged in the ceasing. You're engaged in the stopping. Like be still means you have to decide to be still. No one else can decide that for you. Right? Emphatic imperative. Impress your friends later with that one. You have to decide. You have to be still. No one else can do that. What does that look like practically? A couple things. Uh, one, it, it means that you schedule stillness. Uh, you create space to be still. Now, everything in our lives, everything that's at least important to us, we schedule, don't we? We have a meeting, we schedule it. I, I know for me, if it's not in my iCal, it ain't happening, right? I schedule everything, an important task that I have to do, I put it in a sauna, right? Some of us just nerd it out together. I see you, the two of you that like a sauna, right? If it's important, you schedule it. But, but how many of us schedule times of stillness, rest? How many of you, it doesn't happen because you don't schedule it? You haven't prioritized it. We need to schedule it. A couple weeks ago, we asked this really simple but horrifying question. What if God ran your calendar? We said God's in the midst of everything. That's what Psalm 46 says. What if God ran your calendar? He's in the midst of it. What if you lived as God ran your calendar? What would be deleted? What would be added? You need to schedule stillness and times for your soul to rest. The second thing, this emphatic imperative, this decision to be still is we say no. Not like the next word, no, like knowledge. We say N-O. We say no to some things. We say no to even some good things so we can do the best things. Here's some examples of that. Uh, as I've gotten older, I have three kids. I'm a father, lead a church. Uh, things are busy, just like many of you. I've realized if I want to do something, I have to quit doing something else. Anybody had this realization in life? Like, no offense if you're a college student and you happen to be here for the summer. When you're in college, you could go work out at 2 p.m. You could sleep until 11, study for that exam, cram, and go do the thing, Right? Those were the days, not anymore, right? I have to schedule things and I have to say no to things so I can do other things, right? And so if I'm gonna work out, I have to do that. If I'm gonna read, I have to do that. If I'm gonna be still, I have to do that. And so part of being still is connecting with other people, is those edifying conversations where you connect with someone else, a follower of Christ who encourages you, who edifies you. Those moments help your soul be still. We all need those moments. But listen, to connect with someone else, to say yes to that, means you have to say no to your phone, right? To scrolling. To really connect with another human, another soul, you got to say no to your phone. you got to say no to that app. I, for me, to really connect with my family and have dinner time and have a table where we connect with one another. I have to say no to my phone, to say yes to that, right? And some of us, we haven't gotten used to saying no, or at least we're saying no to the wrong things, right? Like how many of us, we say, man, I don't have time to read my Bible. Anybody? You're saying no to that, how many times do we, do we say, I don't have time to, to pray? You're saying no to that. So you can say yes to whatever. That podcast, that drive, that, that conversation, that meeting, that appointment, that project. 
And so it works both ways. We have to say no to say yes. So if, if you want to go to a community group at Phoenix Bible Church, we have community groups that are meant to create stillness in your soul, connection with other people. If you want to do that, if you want to say yes to that, you may have to say no to that fourth activity that your kid participates in. I'm a parent. I, I get it. But, but we go to a community group, and if we did five activities, six activities with our kids, and they're all-stars at every sport, we're probably not making it to community group. Right? And so to, to say yes to that, which is valuable, eternal weight, connecting with the body of Christ, I need that. I'm blind. There's insanity and isolation. I need that as a pastor. So i got to say no to some other things, right? If you're really going to connect with your family, your, your friends, and spend quality time, if you're going to connect with God, that may mean, if you say yes to that, that may mean you have to say no to that 65th hour of work that week, right? you got to learn to say no to some, maybe, hey, those are good things. Your career is a good thing. Your, your phone can be a good thing. But, but sometimes you need to put it away for an hour and say no to it. So you can say yes to something better. All right, we see this in the New Testament with uh, Mary and Martha. You're, you're probably familiar with this story as well. Uh, but Mary and Martha are with Jesus. And uh, they're doing two different things. Uh, Mary is uh, sitting at the feet of Jesus, just spending time with Jesus, being still. Martha, doing the opposite. Uh, she's busying herself with lots of things, anxious for lots of things. And so Jesus, in a in a really significant moment, comes to Martha and says, Martha, you're anxious, you're busy for much. But you've forgotten that one thing, one thing is necessary, and it's spending time with me. That's the, the good portion. That's the best thing. Say no to some good things so you can say yes to the best things. And listen, I know as I, as I say that, some of you, even right now, are thinking, and you have that little voice inside of you that says, He's crazy. I can manage my schedule. I can multitask. I can be present on my phone and candy crush while I talk to my daughter. I mean, Tim, you just don't know how good I am at multitasking. And some of you are listening to that voice even now, and you listen to it during the week, and you think, Tim, I can do this. I mean, this is necessary. I mean, my phone, my, my job, my to-do list, I mean, it's, it's necessary. And Jesus would say to you in that moment, and you need to recite this in that moment, no, no, one thing is necessary. The good portion, the best portion, to be still and quiet before the Lord. And so as you, as you try to do that, and I hope and pray that you practice this as we conclude this series, I hope and pray that you have through these four weeks, as you try to be still, you're going to hear that voice. It's not going to go away that says, I need to be still. I need to get in God's word. I need to connect with this person. I need to pray. I need to serve other people. I need to go to this community group. But you're going to say, that voice is going to say, there's some other things that are necessary right now. I mean, you can still do all, you can make it all happen. There's some other things that are necessary. Like, you need to grab your phone. Like, what if the cops call? Because that happens all the time. Right? What if you miss that level of that game on your app? Like, who knows what's going to happen, the fantasy of it. 
What if you miss this task? Man, my, my company, everything I build is going to die. Oh, this, is, this is necessary, this is necessary, this is necessary. And you're going to feel tempted to go to all these things that feel necessary. And Jesus in that moment is the, the greater voice, the good voice, who's going to say one thing is necessary. It's me. Those things, they'll take care of themselves. The cops aren't going to call. You're going to be fine. You need to be still. So we need to schedule stillness. We need to say no to other things so we can say yes to a rhythm of stillness. We need to be still. Cease striving. Second thing, we need to know. All right, look at the second part of verse 10. It says, be still and know that I am God. You see, merely being still isn't enough. Right, we, we need to be clear. Hopefully you've gotten this already, but if, if you haven't, we're at the end of this series. You need to know this, that we are not in this series still living glorifying meditation or solitude. We're not. No, in this series, we're glorifying God by learning what it means to be still before him, by learning what it means to, to listen to him and the quietness of our hearts, by learning what it means to live for him and not for the chaos and the urgent, right? This is about glorifying God by being still. To be still is to know God. That's why it's so significant. That's why it's so serious. That is why it's in the top 10 commandments. Okay? The fourth commandment is what? Remember the Sabbath. Keep the Sabbath. Rest. Right? I think for a lot of us, it's the most disobeyed commandment in all of the Bible. Why? Because we never think about that one. Uh, we think about the other ones like don't murder, got that. Don't lie, we at least feel guilty about that one, right? Don't commit adultery. I mean, I know that's bad. I'm not going to do that. Keep the Sabbath? I command you to rest? I mean, God, is that a typo? Are you sure that belongs with the other ones? That's the fourth commandment. It's that, it's that significant. It's that serious. Why? Because being still, resting, leads to knowing God. Right? So we be still and we know God. Um, uh, the reason I wasn't here last week, if I missed you last week, is we were away visiting family in Texas. And we've never done anything like this before. We have three kids. We drove to Texas. I know. It was crazy, right? And we decided to drive through the night. And so we start out. My wife and I took a nap after Sunday church. We took a nap quickly. And, um, and we set off on this journey 19 hours-ish to Texas, Right? And we're not even to Tucson yet. And we were a little bit anxious already, a little bit nervous, a little bit busy in our souls about this trip because we've never done anything like that before. That when we go to California, San Diego, we go every summer, my three-year-old flips out at least five times. And that's a six-hour drive. This is 19 hours. And so we're like, how is this going to work? Should we really do this? Jesus, help us, right? We're going through the whole thing. Not even to Tucson. And it's not my three-year-old. It's my five-year-old. And he's in the back seat, and he just starts screaming violently. Right? And he's screaming violently, and I turn around, like, what's wrong, buddy? And he's like, something's in my finger. And it's, parents, come on, do you relate to this? And it's hurting, and it's hurting more, and it's hurting more. Like, just elevating the screaming over and over. And so I look at his finger, we turn on all the lights, and there is Arizona. There is a needle, a cactus needle in his finger like 45 minutes down the road. 
Like Satan? Did you get that in the car? Like how, how is this needle in your finger on this drive that we've anticipated, that we've worried about, that we've been anxious about? How is this even possible? And so once we get over all that, we pull over to the side, we do some surgery, right? We pull it out, we bandage it up, like, you're okay, buddy. So we're like 45 minutes off pace, not a big deal, right? We get back in the car and we think, all right, power on, <laughs> persevere. To Tucson we go, right? 30 minutes later, my same five-year-old screams out again and says, I think I'm going to vomit. I think I'm going to throw up. And we're just like, really? Like, is this for real? He's like, yeah, I'm going to. And so we pull over. I don't know if it's a pain or whatever. Um, we pull over again. And we sit outside, he can't, and I won't bore you with those details. Um, he never throws out, but he's kind of sick, goes to the bathroom, all that kind of stuff. It's like an hour later at this point, two hours, 30 minutes down the road. And we get back in the car, and as a dad, I'm just like, what are we doing? <laughs> like, why did we think this was a good idea? Like, we're not like other families, right? We get a supernatural cactus needle somehow stuck in our fingers, like we have to throw up for no apparent reason. And then he went to sleep afterwards. He was fine. Like, I'm, maybe I'm a bad father, and, like, maybe I didn't plan for this trip well enough. And, man, other families that I know do this, and maybe they just have better kids than we do. And maybe, and there was all this restlessness in my soul. And I had a decision to make in that moment. I had a decision to sit with my thoughts or to go to God's thoughts. To sit with my anxiety or go to God's truth. And so I was tempted to just say, hey, we're driving through the night, so it was kind of quiet. I'm just going to zone out. I'm going to put on some music. I'm just going to escape. It's going to be great. Let me just forget about all this happening. We're going to move forward. But I didn't. I put on a podcast instead, a podcast of an older pastor that I follow, and he was talking about uh, what it meant to lead his family. And the rhythms of that, the struggles of that, the victories in that. And I just listened to him, and he talked about how he's not perfect, but here's some things he's trying. But what he does is he looks to God, who's the perfect father that he is not. And that helps him see, God, this is the way you deal with me, so this is the way I deal with my family. And in that moment, instead of sitting with my own thoughts, I, I focused on God's truth about who he is. And I was still, and I, and I knew God, his character, his nature, his person, his work. And in a few minutes, along that drive, my frustration moved to restoration. God, God changed it. Why? Because I wasn't just still. I wasn't just meditating, right? I didn't just have running water next to me. No, I had God himself, his presence with me, in me, be still and know that I'm God. So for you, in those moments of stillness, you need to allow God to invade those moments, right? Not a lot of people need to be there all the time in those moments. Not a lot of other things or devices need to be there. But two things that need to be there is you and God. Right? Be still and know that I am God. So what does that mean? You saturate in the truth of God, especially in those moments of anxiety and fear and chaos. You saturate in God's truth. You read God's word. You listen to God's word if you're in the car. You sing God's word. You write God's word down. You get a journal, not a diary, men. 
a journal, right? You get a journal and you write in it once a month, once a week, once a day, whatever you can do, and you write God's word, you listen to God's word, you read God's word, you soak in his truth, you load your minds with thoughts of God. You be still and know that he's God. The last thing, you be still and know that he is God and that he reigns. Look at it with me. It says, I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. One commentator said it this way, God invites us to take a holiday, to stop being God for a while, and let him be God. You vacate, you cease, you let God move. You stop so God can move. He will be exalted. He will be exalted. He says it twice. In case you didn't know, like those moments where we stop and we say, I'm going to let God be God instead of trying to pretend I am, he already is God in those moments. Notice in this text, it's, it's emphatic. It's a certainty. I will be exalted. I will be exalted. He's already God. You're just enabling that truth in your present moment. Listen, here's what this Still Living series is all about. It's all about that God reigns so you can rest. It's all about beholding the work of the Lord so you can be still. It's all about, listen, it's all about Stop pretending that you are in control and let God be. He already is. Of that relationship, of that financial problem, of that sin, he's already in control. This series, Being Still, is about being still and knowing that he is God. He reigns. I know you're busy. I know you have things going on in your lives. I know you have deadlines. I know you have Mondays. Monday's always coming around the corner. Some of you are praying that it won't, that maybe Jesus will return before Monday. Right? I'm right there with you. I love that. I'd love for my inbox to be cleared by the massive return of Jesus. I'd love that, but in case that doesn't happen, right? In case that doesn't happen, I want you to experience the lasting joy, sustaining joy of being still and knowing that he is God, he reigns, he's exalted, you aren't. So, as I say that, I know some of you genuinely want this. Who, who doesn't want to be still, right? But some of you are wondering, hey, as I leave here, though, I, I feel surrounded by this stress, by this project, by this busyness and distraction. Like, I don't know if I can leave my device. I don't know if I can quit that for an hour. I don't know if I can let go of these things. Some of you genuinely want to be still, but you feel surrounded. You feel powerless, to be still, to change your situation. But there's good news. You have the, all the power that you need to do that. This morning, as you leave here, as we close out this series, you have all the power that you need to change your situation, to be still. How? Verse 11, the Lord of hosts is with you. The God of Jacob is your fortress. Like the same God who was with his people in Second Kings is with you. Except in your situation, it's not an angel of God, it's the Son of God, Jesus Christ. It's not an enemy attacking your body, it's an enemy attacking your soul. But Jesus Christ literally breaks the bow, shatters the spear, just like we read in Psalm 46. Not of physical warfare, but of spiritual warfare, of sin, of doubt, that through the cross and resurrection, Jesus breaks the bow. 
Jesus shatters the spirits, his power that leads us to peace. Amen? And so I know you're surrounded. I know you live in real life. But you serve a real Jesus who is powerful enough to bring you peace. You have all the power you need. You're not surrounded. God can break the bow, shatter the spear in your life, in your insecurity, in your work, in your sin, in your chaos, in your busyness. And you can behold his work. And you can be still. And know that he is God. So we're going to close and we're going to practice that. Uh, the way we're going to do that is to take communion. Um, you'll see right down here there's crackers and juice and wine. There's both sides. We're not going to dismiss you to do this. We just invite you to come as you feel led. But we're going to be still. And we're going to be still by beholding the work of Jesus. That, that he died. His body was broken. That's the bread. His blood was spilled. That's the juice or the wine. And we're going to take the the cracker, we're going to dip it in the juice or wine, and we're going to remember and behold the works of Jesus on our behalf, in our place, for our sin, over Satan's sin, death, and the grave, that he has forgiven us, and we can be still and know that he is God. In whatever situation, in whatever sin, in whatever doubt, insecurity you have, we're going to practice that right now. So if you know Jesus, I invite you to come, behold the work of Jesus, and be still. If you don't know Jesus, I invite you to stay seated. And, and for the first time, behold the work of Jesus. He died for you, for all your sin, for all your stress, for all your insecurity, for all your striving and all your good works, that you would place your faith in him, that you would give all of those things to him. He can take it. He's powerful enough to give you peace. And if you do that, if you place your faith in Jesus, then come and partake in communion. Let's pray together. Father in heaven. I thank you this morning that we can be still and know that you are God. And God, I, I don't uh, pretend to believe that all of our circumstances just disappeared because we're in church and we said that. I know that these men and women walk into real situations and real life uh, stress and busyness that, that even affects their soul. And so, I've got to pray that in this moment, if it feels like that's surrounding them, you would help them to know your power that gives them peace, that you are with them. Just as you were in 2 Kings, just as you were in Psalm 46, you are with us. And so God, help that be real for us today. As we take communion, God, help us not look at our works, but look at the finished work of Jesus Christ to behold it. There's not a better time to behold your work than in church. Yeah, when we leave here, lots of things are gonna come at us, but right now, nothing's coming at us. So God, I pray in the name of Jesus, by the power of the Spirit, that you would help us as men and women in this room to behold your work and be still and know that you are God. In the name of Jesus, I pray.